This is ARN. Decidedly Christian, distinctly biblical, and just a little bit nuts. This is Squirrel Chatter. And welcome to the Piney Woods, ladies and gentlemen. I am your squirrel, the host, coming to you from the ARN studios, high atop the tallest tree in the Piney Woods. Good to have you with us. It is Tuesday, the 25th day of July, 2023, and it's hot here in the Piney Woods. It is hot in the Piney Woods. It uh, Normally, it cools off. Even in the summer here in the mountains, it cools off at night to, oh, high 50s, low 60s. Um, and that's on the hottest days. And I don't know that it dropped below 70 last night. It was uh, 102 yesterday, yesterday afternoon when uh, I drove into town to go to the store, pick up something for dinner. Because we didn't want to heat up the oven and heat up the kitchen. So I'll go get us something microwavable. And so that's what we had for dinner was TV dinners from the microwave. So we wouldn't heat up the kitchen. Um, It's been hot. It's been hot this week here in the Piney Woods. It's called summer. It happens every year. Um, It is unusual that we have triple digit days. But it's not unheard of. It's not the end of the world. <laughs> uh, now, let me just read real quickly from Genesis chapter 9, since I have a Bible right here in front of me for our study Bible level Bible study of Deuteronomy. Genesis chapter 9, we read verse 20, actually, verse 22 of Genesis chapter 8. While all the days of the earth remain, seed time and harvest and cold and heat and summer and winter and day and night shall not cease. So folks, um, while the earth remains, which is uh, determined by God, it's not determined by your use of eternal combustion engines, as long as the earth remains, we will have heat and cold and summer and winter. And it has been warmer historically than it is now. It has been colder historically than it is now. Guess what? It's cyclical. Now, I do think there is a linear thing. I don't talk about this much, but uh, Michael Ord, a retired meteorologist um, here in Montana, wrote a really good mimeograph using his knowledge of the weather and everything. He wrote a mimeograph many years ago. And it's called the 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 Noah's flood caused the ice age. I'm not ice age caused by Noah's flood. I'm not sure of the exact title of it. Um, it's fairly scientific and fairly technical. I of course was not able to check the math and stuff like that because it was beyond me. Um, written written, you know, at a scientific level for his fellow meteorologists, etc. But he points out that you know that we we had an ice age and it was the cause of the ice age was Noah's flood because Noah's flood was such a geological event you know geological climatological 
climatological event that it affected the weather of the whole planet. It wasn't, you know, the waters just didn't come down and gently rise up. Have you ever seen videos of a flood? You know, what do you think carved the Grand Canyon? And, and the Grand Canyon wasn't carved over millions of years. The Grand Canyon was carved in days or weeks by massive amounts of water flowing off the North American continent. And, and, and we know that because there's still vertical... A, it wasn't rock, it was sediment. It was wet-packed dirt and sand. Um, we can see that because some of the, the curves and the morphology, as it was moved later, it was, it was moved while it was soft because you're not going to get those kind of curves from rock unless it's really, really hot. And the surface isn't really, really hot like that, except in very localized regions where you got lava flows and stuff. And then you have a whole different set of processes working that are not warping the sedimentary rocks. So it was soft earth with a lot of water flowing off the North American continent that carved the Grand Canyon, carved Monument Valley, carved other huge flood features which are found around the world. And the fact is that they still have vertical sides in places, extremely large vertical sides. And one of the things that you need to understand is erosion hates vertical surfaces. They always erode down and erode down rather rapidly. So we're talking thousands, not millions of years. <laughs> and, and, and we had a global flood, but that flood caused the ice age. Now, when you look at where the ark landed, you know, northern Iran, eastern Turkey, we don't know exactly. <laughs> um, it hasn't been found. It probably won't be found. Could very well have been cannibalized by Noah and his sons for timber because the earth was very much devastated by the flood. And so the, you know, where the ark came down in the, in the Middle East, and that's where civilization began, you know, Babylon and everything. I mean, that's, we all call Mesopotamia the cradle of civilization. That is where civilization began in modern history. And that is because that was the place where man settled after the flood. And so, um, but it was much more temperate then than it is now. You know, I, I looked at the pictures from the Iraq war, which was almost 20 years ago now when that started. And that, that, that is amazing. Um, that it's been that long. But I remember looking at the, the news footage and, you know, just bare desert all around Baghdad. And Baghdad's just a few miles north of where Babylon, you know, sat. And it's just bare desert and you can't grow anything. And, you know, how do you grow crops to feed all these people? And, you know, it's, it's one of those things you just, it's hard to understand. And of course, a lot of it is still irrigated from the Tigris and Euphrates rivers and they have, you know, farmland. But when you get beyond the irrigated areas, it's just lifeless desert. And I'm not saying there's, you know, no plants or animals out there. There are, but it's not, 
you know, it's not an oasis of uh, fertile ground. And yet, four or five thousand years ago, at the end of the flood, guess what? It was cooler and it was wetter. And that's been demonstrated because of a lot of the erosion patterns that are seen in the desert. You should see some of the satellite pictures of northern Africa, the Sahara Desert. And they can show where there used to be rivers. And because it was a much wetter place than it is now, because it was, it was cooler and wetter, because the north and south ends of the globe were covered with ice. That's where you had the Ice Age. As the, the Ice Age ha ended, the, the Earth has been warming up, really, very slightly since the end of the flood. And, of course, it's, it spikes and it has ups and downs. So it doesn't surprise me that we're probably a little bit warmer now than we were at the time that the Ark came to rest in the mountains of Ararat, um, which seems to be east of Babylon. Just contemplate that. So the, 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 the earth has been, you know, there is climate change. It's just not, it, A, it's not man-caused, and B, it's fine. Like I said, it goes up and down. It's going to continue and as long as the earth exists. The earth is going to end when the Lord returns. Actually, the earth will end at the end of the millennium, but this planet is disposable, and it's going to last exactly as long as its maker intended for his purposes. And so we are to be stewards of the earth, which means we don't trash the planet, but at the same time, we're supposed to use the planet he has provided all these things for our use. So, you know, don't don't feel guilty when you start the internal combustion engine in your car. Don't feel guilty when you turn on the lights or the turn on the air conditioner. God has provided these things for us. And so we should be grateful. All right. This is Squirrel Chatter, a podcast dedicated to scripture, theology, history, current events, and whatever else I want to talk about. We webcast every Monday through Friday at 7.30 a.m. Mountain on Twitter, Facebook, and Rumble. And then the podcast is available wherever you find fine podcasts. Squirrel Chatter is a proud member of the Christian Podcast Community. Head on over to ChristianPodcastCommunity.com. Check out all the great curated podcasts that are over there. You will find something worth listening to, I guarantee it. All right, what do we got coming up today? We have prayers from the Book of Common Prayer. We have a reading from John MacArthur's Daily Readings from the Life of Christ, Volume 1. And we resume our study Bible level Bible study. We are picking up in Deuteronomy 12, verse 29. Probably going to get all the way up through 13, verse 5. That's my plan. We'll see how we go. All right, let's begin, as is our practice, with the prayer of confession from the 2019 Book of Common Prayer. Almighty and most merciful Father, we have erred and strayed from your ways like lost sheep. We have followed too much the devices and desires of our own hearts. We have offended against your holy laws. We have left undone those things which we ought to have done, and we have done those things which we ought not to have done, and apart from your grace there is no health in us. O Lord, have mercy upon us. 
Spare all those who confess their faults. Restore all those who are penitent, according to your promises declared to all people in Christ Jesus our Lord. And grant, O most merciful Father, for his sake, that we may now live a godly, righteous, and sober life, to the glory of your holy name. Amen. Blessed Lord, grant to your faithful people pardon and peace, that we may be cleansed from all our sins, and serve you with a quiet mind, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. All right, well, we are, uh, let's get to our daily reading from the life of Christ by John MacArthur. We are reading a devotional today entitled, Beware of Redefined Self-Centered Righteousness. For I say to you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Matthew 5.20 Dr. MacArthur writes, Many people today, and sadly more and more within the church, have redefined biblical concepts to fit their own human perspectives. Like the scribes and Pharisees, religionists know they can't match God's righteousness, so they simply change the definition of holiness. A prime example from Old Testament times is how the Jews reinterpreted God's command, Consecrate yourselves, therefore, and be holy, for I am holy. Leviticus 11.44 they turned this from a call to inner holiness into a requirement to perform certain rituals. The godly person will never rely on self-centered, redefined righteousness. Instead, he will focus on the kind of holiness Jesus taught. He will be broken about sin and mourn over the evil propensity of his heart. Such people long only for the righteousness God can give through his Spirit. They will never rely on their own strength or wisdom for what they can do spiritually. God has always been focused on inner righteousness. When Samuel was ready to anoint David's eldest brother Eliab to succeed King Saul, God told him, Do not look at his appearance or at the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For God sees not as man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. 1 Samuel 16, 7. And that inner righteousness must be perfect. Therefore, you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Matthew 5, 48. To be truly qualified for entrance into Christ's kingdom, we must be as holy as God himself. Ask yourself. Being broken over sin is certainly a crucial part of dealing with its incessant appeal and presence in our lives. But be sure you're not choosing to remain in perpetual inactivity and introspection. How well is your grieving over sin being translated into renewed obedience? Amen. Again, this is fitting very, very well with uh, chapter 16 of the 1689 that we just finished looking at last week. Our good works are never enough, and yet we are obliged to do good works in obedience to God. Uh, but we do not earn any righteousness thereby. We simply strive to do our duty to be pleasing to the Lord we love. All right, now our prayer for the reading of the word. Blessed Lord, who caused all Holy Scripture to be written for our learning, grant us so to hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, that by patience and the comfort of your Holy Word, 
we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life, which you have given us in our Savior, Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. All right, we are in Deuteronomy. This is, again, Moses giving the final instructions to the nation of Israel as they are about to enter into the promised land. This is at the end of the 40 years of wandering, right before Moses passes away and uh, the people under the leadership of Joshua are to enter and take the land. So this is Moses' final instructions. Verse 28 of chapter 12. Be careful to listen to all these words which I command you, so that it may be well with you and your sons after you forever. For you will be doing what is good and right in the sight of Yahweh your God. So we have this, you know, we, this was the last verse we looked at last Wednesday. Just a reminder that all of these commandments, Moses was telling the people that they were to move, you know, to be obedient so that it would go well with them in the land. Verse 29. When Yahweh your God cuts off before you the nations which you are going in to dispossess, and you dispossess them and inhabit their land, beware, lest you be ensnared to follow them, after they are destroyed before you, and lest you inquire after their gods, saying, How do these nations serve their gods, that I also may do likewise? You shall not do thus toward Yahweh your God, for every abominable act which Yahweh hates they have done for their gods, for they even burn their sons and daughters in the fire to their gods. Whatever I am commanding you, you shall be careful to do. You shall not add to nor take away from it. So he's saying, when you go into the land, when God gives you the land that he has promised you, and he will give it to you, do not inquire after how the Canaanites worshipped their false gods and do not imitate them. Now, there is an ancient belief that a land had gods, that a geographic area had gods. This is a pagan belief that's still prominent today in spiritual camps. And so there was, a, there was often a belief that when things started going bad or when you had bad weather or when you had you know, some sort of natural disaster, which every place on the globe is prone to one type or another, that, oh, we've got to, you know, the volcano's rum- rumbling. We have to toss a, a virgin into the volcano to, to appease Pele. Or, you know, th- th- this is the... The, the idea that a, a local area has gods. And so God is telling the Israelites, when you go into the land of Canaan, don't worship the gods of the Canaanites. They're not really gods. And in sec- he says that the things that they did to their gods are all the things that Yahweh hates. Every abominable act which Yahweh hates, they have done for their gods. Pagan worship is rife with sexual immorality. 
Um, that's a huge portion of it. It's rife with empty religiosity. It's it's rife with uh, self-righteous pietism. Um, all of these things that are, you know, the vain repetition of prayers. I mean, everything that the Bible tells us not to do, pagan religion is is chock full of. And even human sacrifice. And, you know, human sacrifice, if you don't think human sacrifice is still a part of the worship of paganism, go visit an abortion clinic. What do you think is happening there? They're still sacrificing babies. They just don't wait for them to be born. <sighs> um, and so we see pagan worship even taking place, you know, in supposedly Christian lands. I mean, uh, Daryl Harrison and Virgil Walker in the latest episode of the Just Thinking podcast on a biblical theology of climate change, they are, you know, the, the worship of the earth, the, the, the worship of, you know, Mother Earth, of Gaia, you know, which is the I think Greek word for so we see that in the the world that we live in is still worshiping the creature rather than the creator, and they are doing so through all manner of pagan worship and you know pagan earth worship involves sex and drugs and and you know mysticism and i mean it's just all. All naturalistic religion is it's an abomination to God because it's we're only supposed to worship God. We're not supposed to worship anyone else. And yet here we see human sacrifice. Every abomination which Yahweh hates for their, they have done for their gods, they even burn their sons and daughters in the fire to their gods. Human sacrifice. Um, I... I laugh. My minor in college was anthropology. And one of the fun studies that I undertook when I was in college, I wrote a paper on it, was the, um, and this was at a secular university, by the way. I wrote a paper on the changing view of the Mayans in uh, anthropology and, and archaeological thought. And it's really funny how the beliefs about the Mayans reflected the beliefs of the people. The early discoverers of the Mayans, you know, the, the, these Mayan temples had been lost in the, these you know, Mayan cities with their temples and everything had been lost in the jungles of, of Central America and and they just looked like hills and mountains. And it wasn't until the eighteen late eighteen hundreds that people started clearing the jungle off and found these, you know, huge pyramids and everything that we find in in these uh massive cities of the Mayans. And and much of Aztec culture, which was still in existence when the uh, when the conquistadors came to that area, 
had drawn a lot from Mayan culture, kind of kind of the same way the Romans had drawn a lot from Greek culture. And so the, you know, the the Aztecs had adopted a lot of the archaeological style and a lot of the worship and stuff. And of course, the Aztecs practiced human sacrifice, which outraged the Roman Catholic Spanish explorers. That was what was behind a lot of the slaughter of of Aztecs that the uh, the uh, Spanish undertook was the fact that these were pagan nations sacrificing children and you know sacrificing humans. Well, when they found the Mayan. The, the late 1800 um, industrial revolutionists, enlightenment Europeans, <laughs> found a land full of, you know, these, these magnificent buildings and magnificent architecture from these obviously enlightened, advanced philosopher, astronomer, king people. And so they had all this speculation about the Mayans. And that continued and was advanced upon and, and, and you know, well into the 20th century until Mayan writing was finally translated. And I want to say it wasn't translated until like the, the 1970s maybe. I'd have to go back and look. I mean, it's been a long time since I've studied this. But, you know, mid-20th century, Mayan writing was finally translated. And the inscriptions on all these buildings were, were then able to be read. And once those inscriptions were read, it turned out that the Mayans were one of the most pagan, bloodthirsty cultures, these, these peaceful astronomer-philosopher kings that had been envisioned by these idealistic Western anthropologists just vanished in smoke because all of the human sacrifice and everything that the Aztecs were doing, they had drawn so much of that straight from the Mayans that they were, they were every bit as bloodthirsty and warlike and human sacrifice and bizarre pagan rituals and um and so once that came out you know i mean the the funny thing is that you never see the anthropologists say we were wrong they just kind of fade back into the woodwork and a new group comes forward with the new belief uh, same things happens in paleontology and and all of these other sciences when when there's a paradigm shift there's no, you know, oh, we were just wrong. There's just a, it just changes. We now know that was wrong, and it's very calmly said, and we've learned since then, and now we know that these things are different, and, and they were actually, you know. Um, but we can't judge them because they had their own beliefs, and, and, and their beliefs were just as valid as our beliefs, and we can't judge them because of cultural parity and, 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 that we just we're just not in a position to say that human sacrifice is wrong and 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 we just can't say that you know totally crushing your enemies and 
raping their women and murdering all of their men is a bad thing to do. It just, it's just, they just had different values. And, and, and folks, I've, I've heard it all. And you have too. just watch PBS or I was going to say the learning channel, but that's all Bigfoot Hunter and stuff now. I miss when the history channel is actually about history. I miss when MTV was actually about music. Um, I remember I used to watch a show on the Discovery Channel that uh, this was back in the 80s. They had a lot of new technology shows. What's coming in technology? And so much of it, you know, was spot on because they weren't looking at, you know, they weren't looking at the far future and what's going to happen, you know, in a thousand years trying to speculate on technology. They were saying, this is what people are doing now, and this is how it might affect your life in the near future. And so much of it was about computing and everything. Remember, in the mid-80s, most people didn't have home computers. You had computers at work. Um, geeky people might have home computers. You know, we had a computer in our house because mom bought it to do the books and stuff for dad's uh, business. And so I, I, I kind of grew up, I was one of the first kids to actually have access to a computer at home. Um, our high school had six or eight TRS-80 Model 3 and 4 computers, and they were only used by the computer science class. And we were learning to code in BASIC and Pascal. And the fact of the matter is that we didn't really use them for anything. You know, we weren't typing papers on them. We weren't doing anything like that. Um, they weren't word processors or, you know, any, you know, and certainly not surfing the web. <laughs> you know, you didn't look up information. They were just, they were there and and almost, you know, a step above toys. We were learning about how computers worked, and a lot of that knowledge is still applicable today. But the computers were nothing like we have now. So, you know... This, this show that I used to watch, it was called Beyond 2000, and it was an Australian show. Um, they had taken, the American production company had taken the segments from this Australian show. I don't know what the Australian show was called. Um, it may have been Beyond 2000. Um, I'm not sure. But they were doing this, you know, so we're talking 40 years ago. But they were doing this show on technology and new tech technology trends and things that had been invented and just fascinating stuff, you know, robotics and, and, you know, just the, the practical application of computers and manufacturing and design. Um, some of the stuff was, you know, they were going to, to, to Hong Kong and, and Shanghai because they're in Southeast Asia and, and Japan, Taiwan. They were looking at, you know, these ultra modern 40 years ago, buildings. And, you know, some of the stuff they were doing, like, you know, these buildings were really tall and broad, and so they would have gaps in the middle of them where you'd have, like, you know, two or three floors would be open, and then the building would resume above, and this was an airflow thing. And then they would, in that two or three floors that were open, they'd have, like, a park with trees and pools and seating areas and everything. 
And then you'd have more building atop of that. It just neat stuff. I remember one of the things that, uh, one of the stories that, that um, they did was on light piping. That a lot of these tall buildings had lined shafts with this super reflective material. And they had put um, a lot of the same technology used in fiber optics. They had put, um, there were sunroofs on the roof of the building. This is a tall skyscraper. And from those sunroofs, they piped sunlight through the building. So when the sun came up, these highly reflective light-conducting pipes would carry sunlight all through the building. So when the sun came up, it would get bright in your office. <laughs> when the sun went down, it would get dark in your office, even though your office is in the middle of the building with no windows. And, you know, that, that just always struck me as this really neat thing, that the show was called Beyond 2000. And so Discovery Channel used to be about science and stuff like that. And, and I... Uh, I used to love those shows, and I, because we don't have we don't have cable or TV now, so we never watch those. All of that to say, you know, if you watch PBS these days, um, the shows that uh, still deal with with anthropology and history and stuff like that, you, you get the you know you can't judge other cultures, you can't judge other beliefs. All beliefs are equally valid. The, you know, except your belief, <laughs> because you believe in a young earth created directly by God that was judged in a flood in the days of Noah that was redeemed by a, a, a savior in Jerusalem 2000 years ago who died on a cross and rose again. And if you repent of your sins and put your faith alone in Christ alone for the forgiveness of your sins, you will be saved. And that all of these things that the Bible lists is wrong are actually wrong. If that's your belief, you're wrong. But other than that, we can't judge people's beliefs because every belief is equally valid. All of these things God calls an abomination. Yahweh hates everything that the pagans do to worship their gods. Hates it. It's not acceptable. It's not glossed over. It's not ignored. God hates it, and it's going to be judged. And then verse 32, whatever I am commanding you, you shall be careful to do. You shall not add to, nor take away from it. That is so important, folks. Don't add to the commands of God. Don't make up your own requirements and say, this is what God says. I'm going to do it better because I'm going to do it. You know, you can't do it as good as God says to do it. You're certainly not going to be able to do it better. Don't add to God's commands. But don't take away from them either. Yeah. Don't ignore what God commands. Understand what God commands. That's a prohibition that's replaced, repeated at the end of the Bible in the book of, of Revelation. where It pronounces cursing on those who add to or take away from the law. So, and some people would say, well, this is just referring to the book of Revelation. I don't think so. When you look at this passage in Deuteronomy, you know, I would say they would both apply equally to the, the entirety of God's revelation.
Then we get to chapter 13. Let's look at verses 1 through 5. We've got about half an hour yet, and we will, we will 15, 20 minutes in these next verses. If a prophet or a dreamer of dreams arises among you and gives you a sign or a wonder, and the sign or the wonder comes true concerning which he spoke to you, saying, Let us walk after other gods whom you have not known, and let us serve them. You shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams. For Yahweh your God is testing you to find out if you love Yahweh your God with all your heart and with all your soul. You shall walk after Yahweh your God and fear him, and you shall keep his commandments, listen to his voice, serve him and cling to him. But that prophet or that dreamer of dreams shall be put to death because he has counseled rebellion against Yahweh your God, who brought you from the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of slavery to drive you from the way in which Yahweh your God commanded you to walk. So you shall purge the evil from among you. This is an interesting case. He says, A prophet or a dreamer of dreams comes, makes a prediction, or does some sort of wonder and then tells you to follow another god that you do not know. Follow after other gods you do not know. This is a test from God to see whether you love the Lord with all your heart and soul. You shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams. So even if someone comes working miracles... And they contradict what Scripture says. You're not supposed to follow them. You're supposed to reject them. Indeed, you're supposed to put them to death. Now that was a this, the, this is one of those things where where time and place come into effect. We need to realize that this is commanded to Israel in the land. We are all of us not commanded to put to death false religionists. <laughs> uh, nowhere is the church called to do that. This was a, a special case um, dealing with Israel. I would say it it matters to whom and when God makes commandments. Not every commandment in the scripture is for everybody throughout time. Um, best example of this, you're going to march around the walls of Jericho once a day for six days and seven times on the seventh day, blowing trumpets and carrying the Ark of the Covenant. That's a commandment from God. Have you done that? Of course you haven't. Because it matters to whom and when those commands were given. And, and so we need to use our brains. And, and by saying that, I'm not saying we're taking away from God's word. We're not. We acknowledge God's word. And we understand that God did command that to the Israelites at the time of Joshua as they were entering the promised land to take down the city of Jericho and begin the conquest. It's not, you know, the time and place matters. There are, there are you know, temporal truths, things that are true in time, in a certain place and time that are not true everywhere. There is conditional truth. Um, 
Well, you know, truth is absolute. There's, you know, you can't change what's true. Yes and no. There is absolute truth. Absolute truth exists, you know. But there's also conditional truth. For example, where I'm sitting is about 250, 300 feet away from an interstate highway. Four lanes going east, four lanes going west. Or two lanes going east, two lanes going west. Four lanes total. The speed limit on that highway is 80 miles per hour for cars. It's 75 for trucks. Or is it 70 for trucks? 70 or 75. It's eight, you know, it's, I know it's 80 for cars. And so that is, that is true. It is an 80 mile an hour speed limit on the highway out there. But that hasn't always been true. When I was in high school, the speed limit out there was 55. Because in the late 70s, Jimmy Carter, to save the environment, restricted the national, you know, the speed limits to 55. Now, of course, he had no authority to do that. He just said, if you don't, he said to every state, if you don't set your speed limit at 55 to conserve gasoline, I will withhold highway funds from your state. That was, that was, it was a blackmail thing because he had no authority to set a national speed limit. Speed limits are set by the states. But he blackmailed the states into doing what he wanted done. It's probably not constitutional. It probably should have been challenged, whatever. I loved what my state did. Montana, which had had no speed limit prior to then. It had a what they call the reasonable and prudent rule, which meant that you could go as fast as you wanted as long as it was reasonable and prudent for the conditions. And most people drove, you know, 70, 80, 90 miles an hour. You know, especially in eastern Montana, long, flat, straight stretches, you'd have people going 90 and nobody cared. But we're also dealing with a state which has a very low population for its land area. So it's not like we had tons of cars on the road back in in the day. It's gotten worse. <laughs> but that's a so they had this reasonable and prudent rule. So when the fifty five mile an hour ruling came down from Washington, from the Department of Transportation, the Montana legislature set the speed limit at fifty five and they set the penalty for failure to failure to conserve gasoline it was a $5 ticket <laughs> so if you got pulled over going over 55 in Montana in the 80s up until the national speed limit was taken away which i believe was late 90s um i'd have to go back and look <laughs> But if you, you know, got pulled over in Montana for, for speeding in those days, it was a $5 ticket. It did not go on your driving record because it wasn't a driving violation. It was a failure to conserve gasoline penalty. I loved it. Absolutely loved it. When the national speed limit was repealed, Montana reverted back to the reasonable and prudent rule which was still on the books. And that was held to um, for 
a couple of years. And then the actor Kelsey Grammer had flown to Detroit and picked up a brand new Dodge Viper from the factory in Detroit. Big V10 engine. Um, the Dodge Viper was a fantastic car. It's not an expensive car. It was not built, you know, it was not a luxury car. It was a street legal race car with a V10 engine. Uh, very lightweight, very big, powerful engine. And so Kelsey Grammer was driving across eastern Montana well in excess of 100 miles an hour. And he got pulled over. And they charged him with, you know, he was driving at an unreasonable and imprudent speed. So Grammer shows up in court with his lawyer. And they made the argument in front of a jury that this was a brand new car in excellent condition with new tires. It was daylight in good weather conditions. Kelsey Grammer was sober, fit, and alert, and capable of handling a car at that speed. Therefore, it was not unreasonable for him to drive at that speed, at that time of day, under those conditions. And the jury agreed with him. And so Kelsey Grammer got off. Um, after that, the Montana State Legislature set a statewide speed limit, and uh, it is 80 miles an hour. They started at 75, and then they raised it to 80. And so that is our speed limit. And when I'm driving 80, I'm, I'm having people pass me, <laughs> and they're not getting pulled over unless they're, you know, well up into the 90s or 100 or something. But at least now you can get a speeding ticket, <laughs> whereas, you know, Kelsey Grammer showed that that was not not uh, always the case. So we do have a numerical speed limit in Montana. Uh, make sure you know that if you're driving through the state, it is 80 miles an hour. It is slower going through some populated areas. It's slower going through some windy areas. Um, but in general, it's 80 miles an hour in the state. And that's plenty fast. But there is conditional truth. And there is unconditional absolute truth and speed limits are a example of conditional truth this command to put false prophets to death was a conditional truth it's not universal now it is universal in the sense that that's what's going to happen when God brings the judgment but that judgment is God's it's not a judgment that we are to carry out. Yet, it is something that we should be aware of when we confront, or when we are confronted with false prophets who are everywhere. Just turn on TBN. Um, but when it says, you know, that they do works of wonders, they do a sign or a wonder among you, and then tell you to, you know, they then tell you things that are contradictory to Scripture. Remember that the, the magicians of Pharaoh uh, named Janus and Jambres, and, and there were probably others, these magicians were able to duplicate many of the miracles that Moses was doing as signs that he was sent by God. 
they weren't able to do all of them, and that was the point. They, there was a progression. They started out, you know, the plagues on Egypt started out easier. They were never easy. None of them were, you know, painless for the Egyptians. But they, they started out at a lighter level, and then, of course, they ended up with the death of the firstborn. Those plagues got progressively more impressive and rapidly got to the point where those magicians could not duplicate them. And I don't believe the, the magicians were duplicating what they could do through trickery. I think they were doing so through satanic powers. God is not the only supernatural power. There is Satan and his demons. And while they, they are not God, they are not equal to God, Satan is not an evil God. Satan and God are in no way equal. But Satan is able to do his own version of signs and wonders. He has supernatural power. And because of that, yes, you can have false prophets doing signs and wonders. And Revelation says that's going to happen. So, you know, here is this prohibition. If someone is telling you something contrary to the Word of God, even if they're doing signs and wonders, don't follow after them. If you are a follower of God's, follow God. Don't follow these false prophets. And often in the rules that is given for crimes in Israel, we see this phrase. Um, in this verse, in, uh, verse 5, it says, That prophet or that dreamer of dreams shall be put to death because he has counseled rebellion against Yahweh your God, who brought you from the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of slavery to drive you away, drive you from the way in which Yahweh your God commanded you to walk. So you shall purge the evil from among you. There are many death penalties in the law of Moses and they're often accompanied by that phrase so you shall purge the evil from among you when wrongdoing is punished it reduces wrongdoing if people don't rob banks I don't care if they're not robbing banks because they know that theft is wrong or if they're not robbing banks because they're afraid they're going to get caught and punished. Either way, the banks aren't being robbed. If I can walk down the street safely because all the people in town believe that assault, robbery, and murder are morally wrong and they're not going to do that, or if I can walk down the street safely because all the people in the town know that assault, robbery, murder, whatever, would be harshly punished and they're afraid of being caught and punished, the result is the same. I can walk down the street without fear of harm. So, you know, punishing evil helps purge the evil from among us, which is one of the reasons why, you know, our coddling of criminals 
in the modern world where they're not enforcing shoplifting and even violent crimes. They're releasing criminals without bail and they're not punishing them. All this leads to is a multiplication of evil among you. Because all the people who have no moral compulsion against these things, which is the wicked majority of the world, all of these people now no longer have the fear of being caught and punished. And if you have no morality, then it's only the fear of being caught and punished that keeps you from doing certain things. When you remove that fear, guess what? The people start doing those things. I was watching a video on Facebook or YouTube yesterday. Um, it was just, it was three people pushing carts full of merchandise out of a shore, out of a store and, and at some sort of department store. I don't know which one, but they pushed the stuff out, threw it in the back of a car and drove off. None of it had been paid for. Nobody's chasing them. Nobody's trying to stop them. Indeed, apparently a, an employee that tried to stop thieves at a Home Depot not only got beaten up by the thieves, she got fired by Home Depot. We are not purging the evil from among us. And it's only going to get worse. Crime needs to be punished. And that is the mandated purpose of government. Go read Romans 13. That's why God has instituted government to punish wrongdoers. You know, there's other aspects, you know, protect the land from foreign invaders. There's all sorts of, you know, things that are legitimate government functions, but punishing wrongdoers <laughs> is a big one. And, and here's the reason. So you shall purge the evil from among you. And the fact that we are not punishing crime is having a devastating effect on our land. All right, we will pick up in verse 6 tomorrow. Let us now recite our faith in the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Now the colic for the eighth Sunday after Pentecost. O God, you declare your almighty power chiefly in showing mercy and pity. Grant us the fullness of your grace, that we, running to obtain your promises, may become partakers of your heavenly treasure. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Now the colic for peace. O God, the author of peace and lover of concord, to know you is eternal life and to serve you is perfect freedom. Defend us, your humble servants, in all assaults of our enemies, that we, surely trusting in your defense, may not fear the power of any adversaries. Through the might of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. And now the colic for the unrepentant. Merciful God, you desire not the death of sinners, but rather that they should turn to you and live. 
and through your only Son you have revealed yourself as the God who pardons iniquity. Have mercy on the unrepentant and those who do not believe. Awaken in them by your word and Holy Spirit a deep sense of their sinfulness and peril. Take from them all ignorance, hardness of heart, and contempt of your word. Grant them to know and feel that there is no other name under heaven given among men by which they must be saved, but only the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so bring them home and number them among your children, that they may be yours forever. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, world without end. Amen. All right, folks, that is Squirrel Chatter for this Tuesday. Have the very best of days. Remember to do the things you ought to do. Don't do the things you ought not do. Whatever you do, do it for the glory of the Lord. We'll see you again here tomorrow for another episode of Squirrel Chatter. Take care. God bless. Squirrel Chatter is recorded in front of a live studio hamster.